All right. Good morning, Grace Hill Church. Um, hope you guys are doing well. Sorry, I think we had a bit of a technical uh, glitch there, but we are here and I'm just glad to worship with you uh, this morning and excited to get into God's word with you. My name is Alan. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Hill Church, and it, it really is one of my prayers that one day, um, if you're new with us, that, that we'll be able to meet face to face whenever we can be back together. Hey, this morning, we're going to be diving in to the book of Luke. Uh, We're in a sermon series now, preaching through the gospel of Luke. So really excited to introduce to you, Rachel and Abby Jacob. They are going to be doing our scripture reading for us this morning, and they're going to open us in prayer. Hello, Rachel. We are the Jacobs. I am Abhishek. I'm Rachel. And this is Rohan. This morning, we're going to be reading to you from the English Standard Version of the Bible, Luke 7, 18 through 35. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come, eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come, eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Um, Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning that we can gather uh, virtually to worship you. Father, uh, we pray that um, you would open our hearts and our minds as we listen to your word, that you would uh, change our hearts and our minds, O Lord, that we would be receptive to your voice. Um, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move this morning in uh, in this congregation. Um, Lord, we also pray for the nation at this time Daddy, and, and this hour that, Daddy, Daddy. that you would uh, bring peace. Daddy. Lord, I pray that your church would be 
the peacemakers um, and that you would bring healing uh, in this community and this in this nation. Uh, Lord, we worship you and we bow down to you and acknowledge that you are our king and that you are sovereign and that you are in control, Jesus. Um, we give you thanks for everything and just give this time into your hands. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, thank you to Rachel and Abby and Rohan for doing our scripture reading and prayer this morning. All right, so let's jump in. This morning, here's what we're going to do. We're going to continue in our study of the Gospel of Luke. And today we are going to talk about doubt. All right, now, if we were all together at Hernan Middle School or in some church building together and everybody is in a room, I'd probably do something like, you know, hey, Raise your hand with me if you struggle with doubting God. You know, raise your hand if sometimes you doubt that God exists. Uh, Raise your hand if you sometimes doubt that the Bible is actually an accurate depiction of God. Uh, Raise your hand if you doubt that sometimes he hears your prayers. And, And honestly, I think if we were all honest... Everyone would raise their hand in the room because we all struggle with doubt, right? Including your pastors, people struggle with doubting God. And it's important that we talk about doubt this morning because the the text we're going to study this morning talks about it. and, And also because many people are ashamed of their doubt. Right, because our faith is a faith that's based in truth. Right, we believe that all one needs to do in order to be saved and reconciled to God is have faith in Jesus. Right, and so sometimes doubt can feel like evidence that you don't have faith, and therefore it can feel like doubt is evidence that you are not saved. But this morning, I'm hoping to help all of us see that our doubts are not as much evidence that we have a lack of faith or that we don't have a relationship with God, but rather our doubt can actually help us grow into a deeper relationship with God. See, I believe that many of our doubts come from when we have an expectation of God or an expectation of what it means to follow Jesus, and then those expectations are not found in the Bible. I think many of our doubts come from that. When we have a particular expectation of God, but those expectations aren't communicated to us in the scripture, right? I want you to think about this with me. Right? Your doubts, any of your doubts, are directly connected to your expectations. All right? Your doubts are directly connected to your expectations. Let me, let me give you some examples. All right? Maybe you're uh, uh, in life, you're starting a new venture, uh, starting a new business. Uh, maybe you're starting to write and put some thoughts on paper that you would want to publish. Maybe you're starting a new ministry or beginning to execute on, on some sort of new idea that you have. And maybe it didn't go how you expected it to go. Or it's a slower start than you thought. Or it just didn't meet your expectations. 
in those moments, it's easy to begin to have doubts. If, if this is something that you're called to do, or if this is something you're gifted to do, or if this is something you should be doing at all, right? It's easy to begin to doubt yourself. Your expectation was that success would validate that this is something you should do, right? Or what about marriage, right? When, when you get married, you expect a now blissful life of romance, laughter, butterflies in your stomach all the time. And marriage doesn't always meet your expectations, right? Marriage can be hard. And in those moments, it's easy to doubt, is this the person I should have married? Or doubt that this marriage is going to last? All right, or, or let's say you start a new job. You're excited. The pay is good. You're excited for the role. You have all these expectations, but then it turns out it's actually hard. Your coworkers aren't that friendly. Management is difficult. Right? The job's not meeting your expectations, so you begin to doubt, can I continue in this job? Right? I think you get the point. We could keep going with all kinds of examples, but your doubts are directly connected to your expectations. And this is also true about your faith in Jesus. Many times our doubt in God are connected, our doubts are connected to our expectations of what it means to believe in God and follow Jesus. So maybe you have an expectation of what it should look like to be a part of a church and an expectation of how followers of Jesus should conduct themselves and what it would look like to be a part of a good church community. Those are good expectations, right? It's not bad to have those, but oftentimes the church doesn't live up to these expectations, right? Amen. And it can cause us to doubt God, right? Or, or maybe you heard a sermon once or a pastor told you one time or a friend told you one time that if you give your life to Jesus, if you ask him into your heart and you start to follow Jesus, that your life is now going to be filled with joy. You'll be a completely new person, that everything's going to change. Nothing will be the same. And that shaped your expectations. And life has been hard. And because of that, that has now caused you to doubt God. God, I thought this was going to be different than this. This morning, we're going to continue in our sermon series in the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to read about how both John the Baptist and the Pharisees, the religious elite, the religious leaders of the day, struggled with this same exact thing. Okay, so, so first of all, that's right, right? John the Baptist uh, the prophet specifically charged with announcing the coming of the Messiah, the one who baptized Jesus himself in the Jordan River and then witnessed heaven open up and God the Father boom from the sky, this is my son. So, so that guy who saw those things also struggled with doubt that came from his expectations not being met. So before we go even further, I just want you to say right now, like if you are struggling with doubt this morning, if that's something you feel a lot of guilt over, you are in good company. God is not disappointed in you for struggling with doubt. Right? You're not some outlier in the church where everyone else has this massively resilient faith and you're the weak one. 
It's not true. God has something to teach all of us this morning about what our expectations are in regards to following Jesus and how that might speak to the doubts that we struggle with, right? Think of your doubt this morning as an opportunity to go deeper in your relationship with God, all right? And so this morning, we're going to read uh, Luke seven eighteen to 35. Rachel and Avi just read that for us, and we're going to work through it. But before we jump back into it, let me just give you a little bit of context here. So in verse 18 in chapter 7, it, it begins by saying, the disciples of John reported all these things to him. So, so far in chapter 7, we have read about two distinct miracles that Jesus has performed, right? So the first one was the healing of the centurion servant. We preached on that two weeks ago. Then last week we studied when Jesus raises the son of a widow from the dead. And so our text this morning begins with the disciples of John the Baptist reporting to John these miracles, all right? Telling him that these things were taking place. Now, you might ask, hey, like, where is John the Baptist right now? Is he following Jesus? What is he up to during these days? Well, if you remember from Luke chapter 3, uh, that King Herod actually locked John up. Um, King Herod married his brother's wife. John the Baptist rebuked him for that, and that landed John the Baptist in jail. So John is in prison right now, and he's receiving these reports from his disciples about everything Jesus is doing. All right. So with that said, that's the context. Let's jump in again together. Luke 7. We're going to read this again, uh, just uh, chunk by chunk here. Uh, I'm going to read Luke 7. I'm going to do 18 to 23 to get us started. It says this, the disciples of John reported all these things to him, to John. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, to Jesus, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to Jesus, they said, Hey, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour... Jesus, right, in sight of, the, of John's disciples and others, right, Jesus healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And Jesus answered John's disciples. He says, hey, go tell John what you have seen right here and what you have heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. All right, so real quick, I just want you to get yourself into the shoes of John the Baptist, right? This is a man who from birth was declared to be a prophet whom God had pretty big plans for, right? Don't forget, you know, the angel appeared to John's father, Zechariah, in the temple, announcing that his wife, Elizabeth, is going to get pregnant with John, and that John is going to be that prophet that Israel had been waiting for for 400 years. The prophet who would come and announce the Messiah. 
And so John, he's doing his ministry. He waits 30 years for Jesus to get his ministry going. And then he begins to proclaim to all of Israel that they need to repent and they need to prepare themselves for the arrival of the king. For the arrival of the Messiah, right? So John's going around and he's announcing to everyone, hey, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. The king himself is here. And so finally one day as John's baptizing people in the Jordan River, that king, Jesus, shows up. And, and John baptizes Jesus in the Jordan. And as we said before, right, heaven tears open. God thunders from heaven, verifying that Jesus is indeed the king who has come to establish the kingdom of God. All right, so, so with that said, this is John's life experience so far. Let me ask you, what might John's expectations be about what is going to happen next? Now that Jesus has come forward and started his ministry. And to be honest with you, I don't really know what John's expectations were. Maybe he thought Jesus was going to explicitly establish a political kingdom and liberate Israel from Rome. A lot of Israelites were wanting that. Maybe he thought Jesus would challenge Herod's rule. Maybe he thought Jesus would more directly challenge the religious establishment of the day. All right, here's a better question. What might John's expectations be for his own life and his own ministry now that Jesus was on the scene? And I can guarantee you this, sitting in a Roman prison cell and suffering was not on that list. Of expectations. And so John's sitting in prison. He doesn't see Jesus challenging Herod's rule. He doesn't see any sort of seismic political shifts or challenges happening. Things actually seem kind of quiet. What is Jesus up to? But one day John's disciples come by to the prison and they have a report about what Jesus is doing. And maybe, just maybe, they have a report that Jesus is finally going to make his move, right? Things are going to start to change. But the report that John receives is that Jesus is healing people of their sickness. He's caring for the poor. He's healing the outcasts of their leprosy. He even raised the only son of a widow back to life. That's the report he gets amazing stories, but they don't seem like Jesus is establishing a new kingdom and a new order kind of stories. And so John sends his disciples back to Jesus to ask, hey, are you really the one that we're waiting for? Are you the Messiah? Are you the king? Or should we look for someone else? John is doubting. His expectations were different. He's starting to question everything now. And so John's disciples find Jesus and they ask Jesus what John instructed them to, right? And I love Jesus' response in verses 21 and 22. Look at that with me real quick, right? John's disciples say, hey, are you the one? And Jesus' response is, in that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on 
many who were blind, he bestowed sight. So he just starts performing miracles. And then he answered them, says, go and tell John that what you have seen and heard, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news preached to them. Jesus doesn't say to John's disciples, yeah, of course I'm the Messiah. Why are you asking me? Why are you doubting me? How dare you question me? He doesn't do that. No, Jesus literally performs more miracles in front of John's disciples and then tells John's disciples to go relay what they have seen. It goes something like this. Hey, John, remember when Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 35 that when the kingdom comes, when the king arrives, the blind will see, the deaf will hear, and the lame will walk. Hey, John, remember when Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 26 that when the king arrives, the dead are going to be raised. Hey, John, remember when Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 61 that when the new kingdom is here, when the king arrives, the poor are going to be given good news. Hey, John, everything that the scripture has prophesied about the Messiah and the coming kingdom is happening. Take heart, John. The scriptures wouldn't lead you to any other expectation. But we can't blame John here. Any of us would be disappointed if we were the special prophet given the task to announce the arrival of this king to the world and then we ended up in prison. Any of us would begin to wonder what we got wrong. Even though the Bible does not promise us prosperity and ease in this life, it's so easy for all of us to expect God to give it to us, especially if we serve him with our life like John did. But look at what Jesus says in verse 23. Look at this. He says, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus told John's disciples, go tell John this. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Blessed is the one who isn't offended by the way I am going about building this new kingdom. This was a gentle exhortation to John and to us to continue to not doubt. Don't doubt Jesus simply because Jesus isn't going about things according to our expectations. Just because it's not playing out the way you thought it would play out. Keep trusting. Don't be offended by it. Right. If we were honest, how many of us would say that one of the reasons we struggle with doubt is because God doesn't work in the ways that we want him to work. He doesn't answer our prayers in the way that we think would be best. He doesn't do things more quickly like we would want him to. He allows things to happen. Right. Like John continuing to be in prison. Or like a virus continuing to plague the world. Or any other tragic or evil scenario we can think of. And we doubt because we would expect a good God to do some things differently. But here, God calls us to endure. Just like he is calling John to endure. And he says to us, hey, blessed is the one who is not offended by me and the way that I am going about 
doing things. And so here's what we're going to do. Before we continue in our message uh, this morning, in our passage, I, I think this is a good place. Just take a quick pause and do some discussion in our Zoom groups. All right. If you're joining us on Zoom, I, I want you to discuss this question. All right. Here it is. What are some examples of how your expectations of God have caused you to doubt God? Right. What are some examples of how your expectations of God have caused you to doubt God? Because we all struggle with this, just like John the Baptist. And so here, if you're on Zoom, we're going to put you in your breakout groups, take a few minutes, discuss this question. You are not obligated to say anything. If you would just like to listen, that is totally fine. If you're joining us on Facebook or YouTube, I encourage you, if you're, if you're watching this with people, take these minutes to discuss amongst yourselves. Or if you're by yourself, just think through this, pray through this, maybe journal uh, your answer in a notebook or something uh, like that. All right, so go ahead, do that. We'll be back in just a few minutes.
All right. Welcome back from that Zoom discussion. I hope that was helpful and good just to connect with each other uh, on that. And so what we're going to do is we're actually going to continue in our passage in Luke 7. And here's what Jesus is going to do. He's going to switch the focus away from the doubts and the expectations of John the Baptist. And he's now going to point out the doubts and expectations of the Pharisees and the religious leaders. All right. So if you have your Bible, I'm going to read uh, Luke 7, uh, chapter 7, verses uh, 24 to 28. Let's continue in our passage. It says this. Now, when John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowd. So John's uh, disciples have left. There's all these crowds with Jesus. And now he's going to address them concerning John. Here's what Jesus says. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God will be greater than he. Now, what I love about this passage right here is that in the midst of John's doubt, Jesus turns to the crowds and he brags about John. He goes, oh, no, 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 don't judge John. John's the man. He doesn't scold John in front of these people. Jesus doesn't even seem disappointed that John was struggling here. Rather, he turns to the crowds and he says, listen, John, this is no man who's swayed by the winds of culture and public opinion. He's not a reed shaken by the wind. This is no man who is utilizing religion or teaching or his ability to be a prophet, to try and get rich and be in the king's courts. That's not John. This is a prophet sent by God. And not just any prophet. He is among the greatest of the prophets. And I love this because what we get here is a glimpse of Jesus' emotional response to John's doubt. He's not phased by it. He praises John in front of everyone. He's not disappointed. If anything, Jesus reaffirms the fact that John is one of his people who really has been called by God. He doubles down on John. And so this morning, if you're struggling with doubt, maybe this right here should be how you picture God responding to your doubt. Not with disappointment, but doubling down. No, you are my child. I'm not going anywhere. But then Jesus makes this almost out of place statement to the crowds in verse 28. And here's where we kind of see this pivot. Look at verse 28. He says, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Then he says, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he, than John. See, when John the Baptist announced the arrival of Jesus as the Messiah, the king, he was announcing the arrival of something completely new, right? Not just a new king, but a new kingdom, and this kingdom would be different in that the least would be the greatest and the last would be first. Something that Jesus taught on a lot, right? The marginalized, the oppressed, the poor would be elevated in God's kingdom. 
And Jesus is looking to this crowd of non-religious elite, okay? This is common people, right? This is a crowd of common sinners. And he says, you can be great in the kingdom of God, even greater than the greatest of the prophets. See, among this crowd was not just common people and common sinners, but the Pharisees. And the religious elite were there as well. And this statement that Jesus says right here was meant to be a challenge to them. Right? Look at, look at our passage. Let's keep going. Verse 29 and 30. This little parenthetical comment. It says, when all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. They are accepting Jesus' words. But the Pharisees and the lawyers, the religious elite, rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by John. All right, so it was uh, a year ago uh, around where we were actually in Luke chapter 3 as a church. um, And we learned and we studied why it was so controversial for John the Baptist to call upon people in that day to be baptized, right? Especially Jews and Jewish leaders, right? Because during those days, baptism wasn't really a normal practice other than what we would call something, it's called a proselyte baptism, right? And proselyte baptism was a part of the criteria if a Gentile, a non-Jew, wanted to become Jewish. And one of the things they would have to do is a part of this ceremony, this ritual, is to be baptized, right? Be dunked in water. Because as a Gentile, that person would be considered to be unclean. And before he could come and be a part of the people of God or convert to Judaism, he had to be washed. And so, for John the Baptist to call on Jews... To be baptized was to essentially declare them to be unclean and that they needed to be cleansed in order for them to be a part of God's people. That would have been highly offensive to the Jewish leaders. But Jesus was building a new kingdom where one was not cleansed through religious ritual or religious skill or religious knowledge. But rather, in this new kingdom, one is cleansed through humility, confessing their sin, looking to Jesus to be the one to cleanse them from their sin, repentance. In this new kingdom, it is the humble who will be cleansed and who will be great in the kingdom of God. And it is the religiously proud who will be least and will be unclean in the kingdom of God. And what we just read in this passage is that all of these common people and all of these sinners, they accepted this message from Jesus, but the religious elite, they rejected that. And so Jesus responds to them. He responds to their rejection. Look at verses 31 to 35. Jesus says this, To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? He's speaking to the religious leaders. They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. 
We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. So during those days, it was common for the children to, as a way of playing together, to pretend to do wedding processions or funeral processions. So wedding processions, when you're celebrating and you're singing, a funeral procession is when you are lamenting and you're wailing and you're mourning. And these children would pretend to do it. And so if someone wouldn't play with you, this was a saying that would be said, right? We played the flute, but you wouldn't pretend to do a wedding procession with us. We played a dirge and you wouldn't pretend to do a funeral procession with us. Look what he continues. Verse 33 will make sense. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine. And you say he has a demon. You rejected John the Baptist based off of his appearance. Verse 34, the son of man has come eating and drinking and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And then Jesus came along and you rejected him and his message based off his appearance and the people that he was associated with. Verse 35, yet wisdom is justified by all of her children. Let me just make sense of Jesus rebuke of the religious leaders here real quick. When John preached the message to the religious leaders, they had their problem with it. They had their problems with John. No, we reject John. When Jesus preached his message to the religious leaders, they rejected him. When he did the miraculous signs, they rejected him. They had their problems with Jesus. And Jesus is saying, the reason you are doubting me, the reason why religious leaders, you won't believe in me and you're rejecting this new kingdom is because you don't want to let go of control of what it means to follow me and to believe in God and to be faithful. You would rather religion be about keeping the rules, memorizing the scriptures and achieving high rank and high title within Judaism. But the kingdom of God is actually about humility and repentance and loving your neighbor. Remember how Jesus answered John's question. If Jesus was the one who was the Messiah, who was the king that we were waiting for. Remember what Jesus said. He says, the blind see, the deaf hear, lepers are cleansed, the poor have good news preached to them. I'm coming after the marginalized. I'm coming after the people that this society says are the least. He didn't say anything about religious ritual. This was not the religion that the Pharisees wanted to be a part of. And so this morning, we've talked about two different kinds of doubt connected to two different expectations, right? You have the doubt of John the Baptist, right? I I had different expectations about how my life would go. All right. And then we have the doubt of the religious elite, right? I have different expectations of what it even means to live my life for God. Two different doubts, two different expectations. And this morning, I think the combination of these two doubts and these two expectations create a picture of what might plague us the most in the American church. In the American church, I think it is fair to say that we largely expect our lives to go a certain way, right? 
right? We expect financial prosperity. We expect not to encounter persecution. We expect individual liberty and for our rights to be protected and defended. And none of those things are bad to want. But I think we also have crafted specific expectations of what it even means to follow Jesus. We've simplified things down to things like church participation and Bible knowledge and doing outreach events and being a part of a community. And of course, all of those things are good too and a part of following Jesus. No doubt about that. But if we were to just take an honest look at what Jesus says it means to follow him. And if we were to set our expectations accordingly, what what Jesus has called us to do is not a life of prosperity and ease, but to humble ourselves, to confess our sin, to receive his forgiveness purchased at the cross, And then pick that cross up too and suffer alongside of Jesus as we wring our lives out in love of others, especially the marginalized and oppressed. Any fair reading of the Gospels, you would see that this is the life that Jesus has called his people to. And I wonder how much of our doubt is connected to expectations that Jesus never told us to have. And if we would just release our lives to his true will for us, how much less we would struggle with doubt. You know, just last night, um, I was wrestling with this. I want to live a life of ease. And I want to live a life of financial freedom. And I, I want to be able to do the things that I want to do. And I don't want people to get in the way of that. And there's so much a part of my heart that, that doesn't want to spend my life serving others. Uh, And then late last night, my wife and I got a phone call. Um, Single mom, we know it's just in a bad spot needed to get some help and she needed us to take her child. And so today I have this precious child at my house. I don't know what the situation is going to be or how long it's going to be. But late last night, I was driving back to my house with this little child in my van. I was tired. I was thinking about how I need to preach this morning. And I just heard the spirit whisper to me, this is what it means to follow me. This is what it means to follow me. It's it's right here. It's this moment. This is what I've called my people to. To enter into the darkness of their cities and their towns. And to wring their life out loving others. That's the kingdom. Especially those who are lowest in our society. Listen, I don't share that to pat myself on the back. but but rather to help us ask ourselves the question, what are our expectations of what it means to follow Jesus? Because I know there are people listening today, and for them, they're following Jesus. They're, They're doing that with one foot in, one foot out. You believe. 
but you don't want Jesus to have full control of your life because you know what he's going to call you to. He's going to call you to pick up your cross, wring your life out, loving your neighbor and loving the marginalized in our society. And so may I just gently exhort you this morning to think about how your faith, your joy, and your doubt might transform if you actually gave yourself fully over to Jesus. If you set your expectations about what it means to follow Jesus, to be what he actually said. Listen, family, Jesus has promised us joy and he, Jesus has called us to love people the way he has loved people. And here's the thing. God has big plans for you. He has massive plans for you. God has great things he wants to do through you. God has great things he wants to do through our church. But here's what we need to wrestle with. Am I willing to lay down my expectations for my life and pick up his? And pick up the cross. Follow him. Because when we're willing to do that, that is when we are in the center of God's will for our life. Right there. And maybe, just maybe, the doubt that you're struggling with is actually God inviting you into a completely different life where you truly taste and live out the joy that God has for you. Grace Hill, the vision that we have for this church is that we would be a church full of people who put our yes on the table and we say to Jesus, I'm going to take you at your word. I'm here. Ring me out in love of the people of this town. That's what we're here to do. That's the kingdom. So would you pray with me right now that that is what God would do through each of us? Let's pray. God, the things that you call us to are scary, but they are good. God, it can be so difficult for us to have uncertainty in our life. It can be so difficult for us to face discomfort or to even invite suffering into our life. But Jesus, you are our example. You came. And what was your message? How did you declare that the kingdom was coming? You helped people. You healed the sick. You gave sight to the blind. You preached good news to the poor. And Jesus, that's what you call your church to do. So God, I pray for anyone right now who's listening to this. And as they're evaluating their life, as they're evaluating their faith, if they're thinking to themselves, yes, that's me. I'm one of those people who's one foot in, one foot out. I want to follow Jesus, but I only want to do a little bit. I don't want to go all the way because I know what he's going to call me to. And I know it's going to be hard. God, I pray by your spirit right now, you would just move those people to jump all in. And say, okay, God, I trust you. I'm going to pick up this cross. And we're going to love people the way that you loved people. And we're going to follow you in the ways that you told us to follow you. And Spirit, I know that you will call people to specific things and you will lead them to exactly where you need them to go. But God, help us to be a church 
that lays down any expectations we might have of what it means to follow you and to pick up the ones that you gave us in the scripture. And Lord, we believe that you will meet us with incredible joy and certainty about you and who you are when we faithfully follow you. God, we love you. We ask you to do great things through us for your kingdom. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.